Shut up and sit down. everyone. For those of you who um, listened to an earlier podcast, um, I wanted to tell you that I went back to Starbucks um, and I'm in line. Okay. And I, it gets up to be my turn. And the line was pretty deep. And that boy who did so wrong before was not at the register, but over by like the coffee machine, like the espresso machine. And he whispered really more loudly than he intended to his coworker. That's the woman that called me a fetus. And the three people behind me, his whisper was so loud, the three people behind me heard him say it. So I turned to the person behind me and I said, that's the fetus that told me I couldn't have extra coffee. You got all red in the face. <laughs> and I said, I'm ordering extra coffee. You better put it in there. <laughs> now, honestly, if I was one of those terrible bitches, I could have pitched a really big fit because that was completely out of line on his part. But um, So he's lucky that I have a good sense of humor. Although I did call him a fetus. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, anyways. He told me I couldn't have extra coffee. Who the fuck? Well, you can't work in a Starbucks and tell somebody they can't have extra coffee. <sighs> anyways, anyways. Um, yeah, I'm, I would not be surprised if he's told everybody he knows that he got called a fetus. Um, by some strange, militant, crazy woman while he was at work. Um, Anyways, I'm not sorry, and I'm not ashamed either. So, so I'm going to talk about something that um, um, is kind of like the big elephant in the room. And I'm going to make a confession first off. Um, as a writer, one of my biggest goals in um, my relationships with other writers is to be someone who is encouraging and someone who, um, um, hopefully, I'm, you know, this is going to sound terribly arrogant, but I want, um, other writers inspire me. So I want to inspire other writers. Does that sound arrogant? I don't mean it to be. Um, it, but what it, for me, there is nothing more inspiring and more awesome and more fascinating than another writer who is in their groove and who is producing something that blows my mind. 
Um, so I want to do that for other writers. Um, so often when I say I write for myself, sometimes um, it, it would be also be true to say that I write for other writers. Because um, as much as I love readers, I enjoy my readers, um, there's something really satisfying about blowing the mind of another writer. You know? And it's just really... Um, It's really exciting. But the white elephant in the room is this. When you have relationships with other writers, there is an inherent... um, well-meaning dishonesty in your engagement. Um, When you encounter a new relationship... Um, with a writer, you want to to encourage their process and to encourage them and not to drag them down. If you're a good person, now there are plenty of people, and I know you've all encountered them, who actually use beta and editing like a weapon. And it's ugly. And so I never approach a beta or an editing task that way but I also and Lady Holder can attest to this um, her first betas with me were really light and even handed Um, and the more I kind of like lulled her yeah softballed I softballed her and yes sometimes I lied not about saying that you know oh it was um lady holder has an, an amazing amount of potential the first time i read her work i thought this woman is so talented and she could do so much more let me in here <laughs> and um so her first betas with me, I was really careful with her because I never wanted to be a source of discouragement. And I worked her into it. And the first, and she had to ask. The first time she asked for a full-on, in-her-face kind of beta, I gave it to her. Um, but even in the midst of that, I was super careful not to be an asshole. Um, and a lot of times uh, people confuse being um, honest with being cruel. And, uh, and being honest with being a good friend. And sometimes, sometimes being a good friend means you lie to your friend. <laughs> Oh, hey, yeah, your butt looks great in those jeans. (laughs) And sometimes being a good friend means you be honest. No, sweetheart, that's that's giving you a muffin top. We need to get a bigger size. (laughs) It'll be okay. They'll look better. (laughs) You have to kind of navigate... a beta relationship the same way you navigate a friendship. Um, And 
sometimes you make mistakes, and sometimes you um, you go down a path with a writer um, relationship that you don't mean to. And you have to reassess um, how to deal with it. That's why I often say, and um, and I'll be super honest, um, in that I made a mistake with Lady Holder um, and um, trying to write with her. And uh, she's not a plotter, and I am, and... I got, you know, and I often joke about the tea lady thing, but it really instantly, instantly upset me. And it's not her fault because she had no idea how upsetting it would be for me. Um, And uh, I didn't make it clear. And I, you know, the thing is, is we have such a great process when it comes to beta relationship and our work ethics and our work styles and, um, so we tried to write together, and it went really well until she went off script. And I was like, oh, God, oh, what'd you do? And it totally fucked me up. And so I procrastinated and didn't tell her that I couldn't work on that work anymore. I could not work on that story anymore. And then finally I did tell her, I can't. I can't do it. You're going to have to do that by yourself. You're going to have to finish it because I can't. Um, and um, you don't know how a relationship is going to work that way until you actually do it. And there's no hostility there. It's just um, acknowledging that uh, our our writing styles absolutely do not mesh. Now, our end product is beautiful. Our method of getting there does not mesh. We're like on opposite sides of, of the street. But what we produced was awesome. It's just I had to choose between producing something really awesome and getting really angry with my best friend. And so I chose to step back from the project to to preserve my friendship because it was more important than um, that story. And the story um, should always come second. You know, so... Put your relationships and your friendships with people before the story. And that's the best advice I can give as far as um, being um, a a encouraging um, writing partner, whether you're working as a beta or as a second writer. And honestly, we probably should have tried a smaller project to see how we would work together before digging into what was actually a novel um, idea. Um, because we probably could have handled 20K together, but 65 to 100K, absolutely not. Because she's not a plotter. And she pants her, she pants her way through that shit, and we had a plan, and she, she went off reservation within like... Oh, God, the first chapter, and I should have realized then that it was not going to work. But I love her; she's my um, she's my girl. So I kept trying, and then she killed my tea lady, and I was I was. <sighs> it was it was.
was like, I don't even know what that was. It was actually totally unexpected. And the thing is, is if she'd have told me, hey, I think we should kill this character, I'd have been, okay, yeah, let's figure out how to do that. But it was a decision made without me, and it was like, because I don't, I make decisions about the work I'm going to write. I've already made all of my decisions for November. What's going to happen here? Who's going to do it? I've plotted all my chapters out by scene. I know what's going to happen in chapter one and what's going to happen in chapter ten. And she probably doesn't even know what's going to happen in chapter one of her story. (laughs) So, you know, we just didn't mesh. And um, uh, for me, always, I pick um, friendship and um, over over the work. So... um, I stepped back from it and gave it to her, and um, I'll, um, I look forward to reading what she finishes. Because <laughs> I'm just, uh. <laughs> but um, it. I do expect her like to have like a mass murder of a whole tea room um, in revenge um, for the amount of teasing she's had to endure over that whole tea lady thing, and it will be um, funny. You could do it in one of the prompts in, in Rough Trade in the in in the big short. We have like two. We have Revenge. Do we have, we have Revenge and we have Fury. They both fit. Oh, I could do a T prompt. T. <laughs> Anyways, this night's tonight's podcast um is um was kind of inspired by Jilly. Totally inspired by Jilly actually. Um but I don't know if she wants to get on the air and talk about it. You know, she's talking about it in the chat room, so I don't know. Okay. She's willing to get on here and talk about it. Okay. Hello. I was on mute. And yes, I'm willing <laughs> to explore. I'm willing to explore, expose my horribleness to all of you so that you can learn from my mistakes. <laughs> So, I um, I don't beta a ton anymore, but I do beta some. And there are some people that I've known for, like, going back to 2009, that periodically reach out to me and say, hey, will you beta this or whatever. Um, and from a whole, a whole different fandom that I'm even involved with anymore. So, I've been working on this beta project for, I've been trying to get done for, I guess, like a week or whatever. And um, it's someone I've, you know, someone I've, this person came to me through someone I met like back in 2009, and I did the beta and I sent it back. and um, And how I beta really does depend upon where the author is, because if someone needs a lot of, you know, basic grammatical structural changes and corrections and struggles with homonyms and word usage and you know noun verb agreement and you know, that kind of thing, um, ta- you know, getting into some really big macro issues in their in their consistency or their pacing, that stuff is just not, um, it's going to overwhelm the the writer. So I just, you know, you don't want a beta to be, de- to, to defeat someone where they get it back and they just want to cry. And sometimes even just doing we- a grammar beta 
can make someone want to. And cry. we've seen that happen. We, we've yes. seen that happen. Um, and I, people I, who go, I got a beta and I quit writing. I was like, oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did a beta for somebody that was nothing but grammar punctuation. Um, because they, and they had some significant structural issues with how they write. And all I did was correct grammar and punctuation. I didn't even say stuff like, and you know, one of the things I will get on an author about is if they have too many words in a sentence in a row that start the same word. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't yeah, go into that. I did. <laughs> I did. I think the record's like 18 he's in a row, but that wasn't Kira. <laughs> no, that was not me. No. So, um, so I'm working on this. I'm doing this beta. So, like I said, I, the person who I just did this this one, just nothing but grammar and punctuation. Just this word is wrong, you know. Although they could have saved about a third of the corrections if they had run a spell check before they sent it to me. Okay. And that was the last beta I ever did where it was clear somebody didn't run a spell check. So if you ever beta for you and you send me something you haven't spell checked, you're getting it back. I'm going to send it right saying. back to you. <laughs> well, you can't I'm even use saying. Microsoft. Click it. It's just a button. What's wrong with you? Right. So I spent I spent so much time on this beta. It wasn't a very long beta, but I spent so much time on it because there was just it was it was really needed a lot of help. And the author basically told me they wrote back. They said that they were so overwhelmed by the volume of of corrections that they decided not to use it and just go with the story as it was. Oh God, I would be so mad. Okay, bitches. The average correction rate was one every five words. I can't even begin to tell you how much work that is, <laughs> how much concentration it takes to correct something every five words. And I was just like, what do you mean you're not going to use it? <laughs> I was like, do you have any idea what – I was sitting there in my head thinking, do you have any idea what, what a miracle I brought out of that level of error? I mean, come on. And I was just – but I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. Okay, you're not going to use it. No, I won't beta for you again. Are you crazy? That question came. Will you beta for me in the future? No. So, um, anyway, so I get to in this beta, um, and I guess whoever whoever hooked me up with this lady, I told her I was really harsh, and I actually do not think that that's true. I've gotten some harsh beta, got some harsh editing feedback from people, and I don't think I'm anywhere near that level. And the level, but the level of harshness is different depending upon who I'm working with. So, you know, I, I would point out stuff to Kira and Lady Holder that I wouldn't say to somebody who is a new writer because there's just not a lot they can do with it. Anyway, so she wrote me back after she got the beta and she said, I heard you were really tough, but this wasn't so bad. And folks, you guys are going to think I'm an awful person. And I just, I, I, I don't know if I can say it. Um, so I, um, uh, I, I had a bad day, for starters. I had a really bad day, tough morning. And I was very distracted when I got this IM. And I responded, I beta at the level of the author's skill. There's no point in bringing up things you won't be able to correct. And then I just, and then I froze. I mean, I hit, it's like I hit enter, like the second my finger hit the enter key, I was like, what the fuck did I just say? And... I just started immediately backpedaling. I'm like, oh, my God, that came out wrong. I'm sorry. I don't really mean that the way that came out. And I just I just spent, like, you know, several minutes trying to backpedal my way out of that. But it was so awful. But it was also, this is going to be the awful, the next awful part, it was also true. 
<laughs> I didn't mean to say it, but it didn't mean it was a lie. Oh, God, it was just awful. It was an awful moment. And I went, and so I go, and I said to, I said to the other bitches, I said, I didn't mean to be an asshole. <laughs> That's just but look what I did. <laughs> look what I did. I was a complete asshole today. <laughs> I'm not kidding when I said that my mouth actually dropped open because I was like, really? <laughs> Ouch. Well, and I've had the conversation with people that I've paid before that as they get better, and I don't have as many as they start correcting I love working with authors who who learn you know who who are adapting and going oh so I've been consistently doing this wrong I'm not going to make that mistake anymore and then but I'm not having to correct those things and spend all my time doing that I can focus on saying you got some consistency issues here this is kind of a plot hole your character motivation is murky whatever and the beta process evolves, the beta relationship evolves as their writing evolves. And that's like the kind of the, the optimal scenario is that, you know, for me, if I'm putting time into debating for somebody, is if their writing improves as a result of it, to me, that's awesome. Um, that's the like other the best thing. You have those people who stagnate. Yes. And um, they're very frustrating um, to be around to to um, discuss craft with because they don't evolve, and um, that kind of um, lack of evolution in a writer is really disheartening um, to see. And I see it a lot more um, outside of fandom than I do in fandom. Um, because I, one of the things about fandom is that it's very dynamic, and um, <clears throat> Fan fiction is um, ever-moving and changing and concepts come into the fandom and you've got new tropes and new ideas and new methods and new ways of doing things and you've got somebody. And the thing is, is you're exposed to so many different types of writers and um, um, and I'm not talking just about quality, I'm talking about um, perspectives and um, uh, methods and you see somebody do something you find really exciting, and you kind of mimic it a little bit and see what you can do with it, and you learn from it. But in traditional writing environments, when you're surrounded by other writers, they are very um, – they become niche writers, and they don't focus on – they don't – they're not motivated by the other writers around them, and they're not challenged by new ideas. Uh, and that can be a very frustrating experience. And um, one of the reasons why I find fandom so attractive is that um, it's the difference between, I don't know, an ocean and a pool. <laughs> <laughs> does, does that make sense? Yeah. There's also something, um, Sweet Home said this to me once, and I don't know exactly how I, I didn't put a lot of thought into figuring out how this factors in, but that in its way, there is, especially in bigger fandoms, um, there's a lot of, it, it, it can be, um, competitive isn't quite the right word, although that's the word she used. Um, there's a large volume of, of stuff and you, you know, people want their work to be read 
and so they're looking to improve and to I think that there's you know I don't I don't know why there's like this you don't see that 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 pressure to improve in people who are have who have write original fiction have published works but um I don't know I just I think I seem I I I know I I'm not a published writer myself but I know several and I do see that desire to improve more in fan fiction writers than I see it in um other writers that I've talked to. Um, Professional writers are um One of the first things I was told as a professional writer, um, most professional writers don't make a living as a writer. Some work as editors, some work as technical writing, and they're they're not making it you know as a fiction writer. Journalism doesn't count; it isn't the same thing. But when you're a fiction writer, you're you're taught to expect less. When it comes to terms of money, you write on spec, you write for the market. You get pigeonholed by editors, by your agent, and, okay, she writes mystery. She writes contemporary. She writes science fiction. Whatever it is this person is writing, they're being pigeonholed by their editors, by their agent, by the publisher. And they aren't um, interacting with, and they have a group of writers around them. They're all romance writers. They are in a science fiction book club. They're they're surrounded by science fiction writers. What you see in fandom is a lot of variety of writers, and there's no. Um, I have never had a. Now I did have one incident with Original Tempest where he told me he didn't read romance, and I'm like, "You fucking liar! You read my work, and I'm a romance writer." And he was like, "Oh." <laughs> But in in professional circles, there's a lot of um, division, and we don't interact with each other to a great deal, which is why my real-life writing group is kind of unique in that I have women's fiction writers, and I have a child, um, I have a YA writer, and um, there's an erotica writer, and there's a chiclet writer, and there's a science fiction writer, and there's just one woman who's doing her family history. She's been doing it for 20 years. Whatever. Um, she <laughs> Did you say a chiclet writer? A chiclet writer, yeah. Like the chiclet? gum? No, honey. Like waiting to exhale. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Chick lit, chick okay. literature. Okay, I was in there visualizing like what, what <laughs> you for. Uh, uh, so, but it, but in fandom, that those barriers um, don't exist. They kind of all mix together. I mean, if you look at what's happening on Rough Trade with the with, with just the project files we currently have up. It runs the entire. I mean, we have we have we have shifters. We have a, I'm, I'm doing a space opera basically. Um, we have um, just 
we have an, I, I think we have an historical up right now. Um, there's, there's just this whole range of stories and ideas, and no one is saying, oh, well, I can't write with this science fiction writer on the same site with me. And that actually happens in communities where there are uh, professional writers, you know, they they don't want to interact with a romance writer, or they don't want oh science fiction writers are such assholes. I can't, I can't. They're all sexist bastards, <laughs> and that really happens. That really happens. So, um, in that respect, fandom is very um, opening and um, open and um, accepting of different genres and um, uh, concepts and ideas, and it it's in that respect, very inspiring. Uh. I agree. And I think, I think as fandom has spread out and become more of a, like an, an umbrella thing, as opposed to these isolated silos, that that has really become more and more prevalent. Um, because, you know, we, I'm sure we, we all have, like, way back in the early days of whatever fandom some people were involved in, when things were very much more isolated, we didn't have multi-fandom archives, and there weren't, like, a lot of, very many multi-fandom groups to get involved with. Some fandoms were really developed really toxic behaviors and sort of yes. toxic attitudes. And it could really turn a person off um, or bully you into, you know. Hello, Sydney yeah. fandom we're talking about you. Um, and hello, NCIS fandom. I'm talking about you, too. Um, uh, (laughs) What the fuck? You said earlier about uh, uh, fan fiction writers competing for attention. Well, in the professional world, you get paid or you don't. And that's your validation. You get paid. Um, in in fandom, your validation is readers. Um, and in that respect, I'm a very lucky bitch. I know that. I get a lot of grief about not being grateful. Um, but it couldn't be... I mean, I am super grateful. I, I think the fact that I run an independent site and I give you guys a chat room and I give you like a fucking forum and... <laughs> I'm hard to you on Facebook, and I mean, I, I I joined Facebook for my readers. I didn't want anything to do with Facebook. I have a Twitter for my readers. I have a fucking Tumblr because my readers asked for it. I don't tumble. I still don't tumble. My site feeds Tumblr for me. Sure, I don't tumble. But Tumblr's too one direction, you know. It's sort of like doing <laughs> yeah. a podcast. It's like doing a podcast without a chat room or anybody on the phone. Just you know, it's very. I mean, eventually, some people do that. Maybe they do it really well. But I would. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would find that to be very weird. It's isolating. Yeah, it's 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 so very isolating. It's not very social media, is it? (laughs) No, it's not. I don't know how they can even call it that. It's more like there's no social um, in there. Yeah, there's there's definitely no social. It's uh, it's vacuum media. It's actually more narcissistic even than, than Twitter is in its way. I agree. Way. Because Twitter, you at least can get feedback, you know. But pretty much, you know, if you've got if you've got a post with, like, 50 pictures in it and someone wants to bitch at you about it, they're going to have to reblog that whole fucking thing and basically advertise <laughs> your post, right? The thing that they hate, the only way they can communicate with you about it 
is to share it with the world. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is that you probably won't even read it. Yeah, you probably won't even know that they commented on it. So well, I wouldn't anyway, because I don't understand how Tumblr actually works. Because um, Kira don't tumble. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> um, but the fact is, is that um, fandom... I think Julie's experience today, uh, uh, you had some personal frustration going on, and the, they just, it, it struck wrong, and, and you responded off off the cuff before you considered what you were saying. And, we, and we've all done that. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that your honesty was too much for this person. It was. It was too much honesty. <laughs> It was too much honest. And the thing is, is I think that if I had approached um, my writing relationship with Lady Holder, um, I've often been told that I'm a blunt object in editing. Instrument. Um, Instrument, yeah, blunt instrument. Um, But I, you know, I treated her very, very carefully in the very beginning because... um, I saw potential there, and um, uh, I found her process fascinating. And I, I love. And I'm not saying she was an experiment because she wasn't, but it's just really fun to watch somebody move through um, their process, and and you can see it in her work. Um, the The change in her writing is is amazing. I mean. Um, it it went deep and it was just it's 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 great to watch and um I think that if I'd have been an asshole in that first beta she probably wouldn't be my friend today. <laughs> there's a there's a funny thing about the honesty thing is it that you get to the point where you don't know how to get to get you don't know how to get out of being gentle or get being out of being um. Consider it. You actually phrased it in a way, um, well-meaning dishonesty. You don't know how to get away <laughs> from that after a while because you are. I mean, it's like I've asked people for their opinions on on stuff I'm writing before, and I'm having, especially right now, I'm having a little bit of a crisis of with my own work. So, and this is like when I need like alpha reader help. You know, like tell me what you think, and I always question. Anytime I get feedback from anybody, is is they're being honest, completely honest. Because even if I say I want you to be completely, completely honest, I'm still going to quit. I'm not talking to you, serious. What the hell? Siri, I'm not going to... Siri loves Stop me. It. That's what it is. Siri has a question. She does. It's like, what am I talking to you? She like thinks I'm talking to her, and apparently she thought <laughs> I wanted to go to Newark. Maybe she's jealous. Maybe she's jealous of me. She is. She doesn't like that I talk to you way more than I talk to her. <laughs> I think I asked her one day why she was such a cunt, and mm-hmm. she, I think, I have to ask her, I think she asked, she didn't know what to do with that, but let me ask her. <laughs> Siri, why are you such a cunt? We were talking about you, not me. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> No, you can't. 
Adam just called me a cunt. <laughs> so there we go. Siri said, Siri said we were talking about you, not me. Lord. <laughs> okay. My phone's calling me names. All right. <laughs> you did start it. Um, <clears throat> that was hilarious. That was absolutely hilarious. Um, when when you talk about inherent dishonesty, um, is that, you know, people just are. Um, and it's out of kindness, yes, but a lot of people can't handle the truth. And I'm not being snarky. I'm I'm being for real. Um, so when you ask somebody, hey, does this suck? That's not what you want to hear. You want to hear, oh, no, it doesn't suck. Of course not. <laughs> and if they tell you, yes, as a matter of fact, that does kind of suck, you're going to be really mad at them, and they know it. So they're not going to tell you. Now, when Jillian sends me something to read, I always, always phrase my um, impressions of her work with questions. I think that's the, I think that's the best way to approach Jilly. Um, and yeah, I did think about it. <laughs> I just want to be perfectly honest. I approach different writers different ways, and I think she's someone who does really well with questions. Like, did you really mean for Gibbs to be a total asshole here? <laughs> <laughs> And, oh, my God, could the sexual tension be any higher? And there's new one. What sexual tension? And I'm like, did you read your own shit? But, but the thing is, is that's not really how I approach Lady Holder. And it wouldn't be how I would approach any other writer. Because sometimes if you ask a writer a question, they go off the rails. So with Lady Holder, I don't know how she'd respond to a question, but I've always approached her with, this is what I see, this, 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 and this. I give her impressions. I ask Jilly questions. Um, So it's just an instinctual response to how I interact with them. It isn't something that um, necessarily I can change. (laughs) It is what it is. It is what it is, and and just, it's just the first impression that I get is how I interact with with people. Um, now, Lady Holder's method of um, dealing with me is particularly funny um, because uh, she doesn't ask me questions; she sends me links. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it. I was like. I don't understand because I did I did a one beta right after Lady Holder had done it, so her changes were still in the document, and there's like links. And I was like, huh. I wonder so what that's when about. Thinks I'm doing wrong. She'll send me a link to it, and it's very um, school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, um. Right, because she's not making a decision for me. Um, she's saying, okay, this is actually what it is, so you need to make a decision about how you're going to treat this and then treat it this way the rest of your story. <laughs> you know? So, you know. Whereas I, 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 did, I, did, I did, the first, you pointed something out to me that I was doing in beta that I hadn't even consciously made the decision to do, which is just highlight some stuff and not explain why I was highlighting it. Which is sort of like basically saying, I trust you can figure out what my issue is here. 
Well, I think that could be because you know that I that that I've been through editing professionally, and you're you're a, a, a technical writer. So there yeah. are things that you do in those relationships um, that you that that become old hand. So you really didn't approach my work as a fan fiction writer. No, no, not really. And no, no, not at all. In fact, I would say when I first got the first beta from Julia, I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's not what I expected, but it was very good because it, it it gives me a different perspective. And one of the things I like about multiple betas is that I get different um, um, feedback from both. And what Julie was talking about earlier is that when I do a beta, I send the work to my first beta, and then without making any of their changes, I send the document to my second beta with all of their track changes still in it. And a lot of times what that does for me is, like, especially with Chris and Lady Holder, like, they'll be like, <laughs> they won't always agree. Lady Holder will be like, I think this. And Chris will be like, well, no, actually, I think this. <laughs> and there will be, like, two or three notes. <laughs> and also because I hate blending documents, and I only edit once. Um, so, yeah. But that's, it's, it's just pretty funny. Yeah, and they'll argue in the notes, which is what happened with Lanty and Legacy. I'm going to be perfectly honest. They argued so much in the notes about what they thought I should be writing that it totally fucked me up. <laughs> and that's why it took so long to produce um, an actual book two because they convinced me in the notes of book one that, I, that, my, that my book two should have been book three. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to admit, I, it would, it would never occur to me um, I'm actually very careful when I beta about – I have to, like, really know somebody um, really well and know that they're, they're comfortable with it to say I think that this is off or give give suggestions. I tend to – you know, I am hard and fast on the commas, consistency, capitalization. I mean, if you don't capitalize oh, consistency – Capitalization Nazi. <laughs> I'm like, four no, pages I'm like, ago, you – Gosh, you, I capitalize you, that or not? <laughs> I was like, four, I was like four pages ago you weren't capitalizing this, and now you are. And two pages later you start cap stop capitalizing again. And what the hell? <laughs> I, mean, I just, I just, it's the there's a, it's part of that OCD thing is I pick up anything that tend to pick up things that are inconsistent when I'm baiting, and it will drive me up a wall. And so I just like, and so I get to the point and I'm just like, highlight, 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 highlight. It's like fix your shit, fix <laughs> it. Do you realize that you have used the word angry 36 times in two pages? I I didn't actually do that. But that's what she was doing. She was highlighting words that I was repeating. And I knew immediately what it was because I've had editors do that to me in the past. So um, I I got it immediately. (laughs) Lady Holder said she had 77 comments in her last beta from from Jilly. Um, How many? uh, um, I usually really chatty. How many words was that, Lady Holder? It was about 50,000. 50, it was just shy of 50,000 the last beta I did for her. 50,077 comments. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Shut your mouth because there were like 400 comments on No Enemy Within and it was 48K or something like that. It started out at 30 and there were 400 and something comments. So shut your mouth. <laughs> oh, shit. 177. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Well, I imagine the the 177 is also if you're using the word count fr- function. I mean, the comment function. They're counting the corrections in your grammar as well. Surely. Surely. <laughs> but you know, it depends depending upon. So, like, um, when it comes to dating for me, like. With you and Lady Holder, I'm as hard on a fan fiction writer as I will probably ever be. But there's a but there's a, a line that you guys both are published professional writers, and so you've been through way tougher stuff than I can throw at you. Um, so, oh, I think you do it for a living. You're actually really good. <laughs> you should consider it. As I think that I can, I. I have to set my own work aside for like a couple months before I look at it to see the mistakes in it. Because um, I actually had somebody um, get snarky with me because, I mean, I just put a fuck ton of comments in the beta for them once. And, um, I mean, not comments, commas, pardon me, commas. Um, and she made, she'd made some remarks about comma use being subjective, and I said, well, there is some cases where there's some subjective use of commas, but there actually are some cases where there are rules, so whatever. But okay. But then she wrote me back later, and she said, you know, I just don't see this attention to commas in your own work. <laughs> At the time, I said, well, honestly, most of the people who beta for me are not as good with commas as I am in a final product, but I am not taking two or three months off of my own work so that I can see the errors again and putting the commas in myself. So shut the fuck up. I was ordered to buy a fucking style manual and step off, but that's just me. <laughs> that's just me, though. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, so I have to get really familiar with somebody to get to the point where I am honest enough to say stuff like this plot decision is really weird to me or something like that. Um, now, I did uh, do kind of a pre-edit for Lady Holder on one of the works she submitted for professional publication, and that's as close as I've probably, that's the, probably the hardest I've ever been on anybody um, that I know in in, in, in fandom now, um, because she was submitting it to a publisher, so I wanted you know to give the best I could for her when she submitted it. Yeah, it yeah, makes sense. So, um, <clears throat> one thing I encounter more with professional writers than I do um, uh, fan fiction writers when it comes to beta and editing is um, a lot of those professional writers will get kind of narrow in their focus when it comes to their own work. Um, and they have a hard time seeing it from an outside perspective. So one of the best pieces of advice I ever, I've ever gotten as a writer is to step back and view my work as a whole um, and as a product. Because there comes a time when it's not just, as Carrie, as Carrie um, Hope Fisher would say, um, my word baby it is now um a product and there are requirements that have to be made or met for my publisher that I don't always agree with. 
but that's the um, the deal with the devil that you make. The devil being publishing. And sometimes I've had professional edits that left me furious. <laughs> Absolutely furious. But I did them because that's the job. And um, I've also, uh, I've, I've never had that experience in a beta because there's a lot of freedom in fan fiction that you don't have in professional work. And um, you have to fit yourself into a um, into a box professionally um, to produce a product uh, that, you know, and, and sometimes that can be difficult. It can be emotionally um, hurtful, but it's just something that you have to work through if you want to do that professionally. And maybe you don't. You know, not not everybody does. And I'm not one of those writers who, um, obviously, I don't think you're wasting your time if you're writing fan fiction. I've, I've honestly never thought that. Um, I think some of the most talented writers that um, are alive today are in fandom, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and writing is not a... Um, is not a job. Being an author is a job, but writing is a calling, and I think it's important to figure out um, what it means to you and how to keep it, how to keep that part of you um, safe. And a lot of um, writers aren't safe being a published author. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me because you, you lose – when you're doing um, fan fiction, you have complete creative control. And if you don't like something your beta has to say, you don't have to do anything with it. Right. Um, ultimately, it's your decision, and you lose a lot of that um, when you get published. You know, it's, you're, you don't have the final say anymore, um, and somebody else owns it. I mean, even though we can't make money on our work now on this stuff, it's still mine, all mine. You right. know, I can take it away whenever I want. But with professional work, you can't just take that back. You know, you can't just say I'm 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 taking my cookies and then I'm going home because you don't own it anymore. And that's you know that's difficult. And I could see that that would feel and and also you know, as cruel as fandom can be. Um, I would I, I I would say that I mean I have read some reviews on books on Amazon that I just couldn't believe somebody actually said that um, about you know somebody else's work um, because I mean it's not often in fandom that you get encounter somebody like critically ripping your work apart and talking about all of your flaws and everything you've done wrong and um, I somebody did that to me once um, like I said they weren't wrong about anything but it wasn't like I needed to hear it you know. Um, if You're I not telling me anything I don't already know. Yeah, it's like I, I know that. This is not um, And if I and if I didn't know it, you're not the person I random stranger. You're not the person I would seek out to hear it from. 
But you know, sometimes I do. You know, sometimes you do want honesty, and sometimes um, you do want to take the safety net away a little bit. Um, but I would say, you know, take it easy, take it slow, and be be certain what you're asking for and what you're looking for. Because you don't want, you know, if somebody, if you're friends with somebody, and you said, "Hey, I want you to take the gloves off and tell me what you really think with this," you know, be sure that you're that you both can survive the result of that. And you know, chances are that you they still might not be completely honest with you. Right, because people- you do. There's that moment when you think, okay, um, what is it worth to be this honest with this person? Is it worth um, my friendship with her or him? Is it worth um, an argument? Is it worth making her cry? And of course, at the end of the day, when it comes to fan fiction, no, it's not. It's not worth it. Which is where that inherent dishonesty comes from. Because it's just a piece of fan fiction. And at the end of the day, it's not worth giving up somebody's friendship or hurting them in a very deep and personal way. Because then it becomes an act of vanity. Because you're pitting your opinion against another person's emotional well-being. And that's vain as fuck. Yeah. So the fact of the matter is that sometimes neither one of you can handle the truth. (laughs) 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 And, you know, I don't mean to make light of it because I've seen people be emotionally devastated both professionally and in fandom over over um their work because writing is is deeply personal it is the most personal thing that i do and it is also the most public thing i do which is really weird now that i've said it out loud <laughs> It is. It's an interesting dichotomy. It's like, um, this is the most special thing I do, and I share it with everyone. <laughs> like, and most things aren't like that. <laughs> but that's a drive that comes from being um, a creative person, um, is that you just feel this... Um, overwhelming desire to create and to share. Now, some people don't have, um, I don't want to phrase this wrong. Some people can't share their work. And it's not a function of bravery or strength. It's um, something deeper. It's... um, Sometimes the work is just too close. And for some people, that's all they're capable of um, of producing. Is stuff that's way too close to share. I have work that I'd never let anybody read. And never will let anybody read. 
probably the most personal thing I ever wrote I wound up sharing. Um, and I wish that afterward I hadn't. Uh, I wish like I had like I wish I had a time machine. I would like I were just a time turner, even one that only works for five minutes, and go back and undo that shit. Um, because it just wasn't, you know, it didn't need to be shared. You know what I mean? That was for me, mm-hmm. and I let someone else's opinion of what I should, and I say that with I'm sitting here making quote marks, what I should do with my writing influence me. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, the comment, well, if you're going to write it, you know, if you're going to do it, what's the point in keeping it to yourself? Why bother? Just It was like there was no value in it if it wasn't give it shared with somebody else. Which is really fucking ugly. It is ugly. That's some ugly shit. Tell that person to kiss my ass. <laughs> Even if it's been decades. <laughs> call them up and tell them to kiss my ass. <laughs> but, you know... It's been like so, 18 yeah, years um, now. So, that, that's the thing about... um um beta relationships and alpha reader relationships is that it 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 should grow and develop and if you go into a new beta relationship um balls to the wall that's not good it's not the way you um you build a relationship with a beta Or with another writer. And I, um, you know, like when a beta posts, like a beta profile, like, hey, I'm willing to do some beta work, Um, I'm a very harsh beta, there's just no way I'm contacting that person. Mm -mm. There's just no way. Because for starters, they're overly invested in their opinion already. And if we disagree, they're going to get, I can already tell they're going to get in a snit about it. Um, But worse, they're advertising their desire to abuse somebody else. Exactly. It's like, you know, they're going to... It's like, even, really? Why don't you just put Dom seeking sub? <laughs> it's like, even <laughs> if the, even if they don't find much to work on, like, with, you know, they're, my, my impression is, like, let's say that the work is relatively clean or something like that. Because sometimes I don't put something out to beta until... Sometimes I've, like, gone over it one edit and then sent it to beta. Sometimes I've gone over it six times. And it's as close to done as I can get it when I send it off for that final check to make sure that I didn't screw up, you know, a double word or something like that. And with a beta like that who advertises how harsh they are, it's um, I can almost tell that it's going to be like their moral imperative to find something that they can give me a hard time for. Even if there's really nothing that they can give me grief over. They will find something. They will find a way to tell me that there's something wrong because otherwise they're not getting out of the experience whatever the fuck it is that they do it for, which is apparently being harsh. And, and I want to clarify something. I wasn't actually saying that Dom's relationships were abusive. That didn't come out exactly like I meant it to, but when I when I see that kind of of structured request it looks like they're they're looking for somebody to dominate um <laughs> which isn't quite yeah. the same thing as a beta relationship but i wasn't equating dominance and submission with abuse and i hope that you all know that about me already but just to make sure go ahead <clears throat> yeah, and, and you know the funny thing the thing about when you go into the do the beta and or alpha thing for starters, if you're looking for an alpha read, 
which is somebody who's going to give you fundamental feedback on what you're writing. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe even down to the level of, is it good? But maybe not. Maybe you're just looking for plot holes, consistency, character motivation, um, pacing. I mean, an alpha can really help you dig yourself out of a slump if you can't quite figure out, especially somebody who's really on the ball with um, story dynamics and can kind of get right to the heart of what is wrong in what you've done or what isn't working, why why the pieces aren't coming together to form a cohesive whole. So an alpha, so you know, you're, you're going to expect, you know, when you do you get an alpha read from somebody, that it's going to potentially sting, you know. And no matter how nice they are about it, they're about to give you criticism. So be prepared for that. If you don't That's want why I that phrase kind of, honest questions often. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I'm I'm good with questions. Um, I'm also good with people just highlighting something and saying this is confusing as fuck. <laughs> yeah, did you mean to do this? <laughs> because right now it seems like that he just gave birth to a tomato. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I never actually encountered that in your work, but I have seen that before. Like, oh, dude, that's not what you meant to say. <laughs> that's really. I hope that's not what you meant to say. Um. Side note: I am currently hold. Um, um, I have a Build-A-Bear. Uh, it's a really funny story. When I turned um, a big birthday, um, my mom and I were in the mall and we passed a Build-A-Bear. And I made an offhand comment. It, it was my actual birthday that I had never that Build-A-Bear didn't exist when I was little, so I never got a Build-A-Bear. Well, my mom grabbed my sleeve and dragged me into Build-A-Bear, and she got me a Build-A-Bear for my birthday. And I picked him out, and I dressed him, and I put his little heart in, and um, I filled him with with um, with stuffing, and I gave him little tennis shoes, and he's wearing um, overalls, and um, he's my plotting build a bear. He's my plotting bear. So I so I hold him when I'm plotting, and right now I'm currently holding him like a baby, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> She's holding her plot bear. I'm holding my plot bear, and I have no idea why. I also have a minion um, that my husband bought me uh, when that whole minion joke first started happening. But currently, I'm holding my plot bear, and I don't know why. I just picked him up, and I've been holding him ever since. Um, so it was just a really side side thing to. Uh, how many steps have you walked since the podcast started? Uh, look. Only thirty so far. I guess I'm not being I'm not I'm not gesturing as much. <laughs> so it's a Fitbit, right? You're wearing a Fitbit? Yeah. And it because she's a hand talker, whenever she's on the podcast, it records her as her walking. <laughs> <laughs> Someday I'm gonna get so agitated that it's gonna record like me being on the elliptical for ten minutes during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do aerobics for ten minutes? No. That um, was me being irritated. <laughs> I was yeah, annoyed. You know, when when I don't often ask for an alpha read, and that's actually pretty arrogant, I guess. Um, and it's because I am a planner and a plotter, and once I make a decision about something, I really don't intend on changing it. It happens. I mean... Did I ask you for an alpha read? Mm-hmm. What, what, what was it? 
Well, there was a little one. There was actually two. There was a mini one, which is where, which was on Courting Hermione Granger. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. It was the latter half because um, I don't know if you want me to tell you people what I told you. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, it, it, what I what I'd commented to you was that the um, the transition between the because you initially went straight from the whole scene with Harry and Hermione and the the attempted bonding spell to the 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 end with the death. Yeah, yeah, I did. And I told you I, it was traumatic. It was abrupt and very traumatic. It, it was um, abrupt and it was it was shocking and it's like I was just kind of like like ooh, it's like I've been gutted. Um, but that was the point that that's what I plotted. But then I realized after I plotted it and after I wrote it that it was really really harsh. Um, and Julie agreed with me. <laughs> I did. It's like I, I, I wrote her and I was like, I was like, I don't know, because this is the first time you'd asked something like that. And I was like, I don't know, should I say this? I was like, fine, I'll just say it. She asked, she asked for it, so I just said, well, it was really kind of traumatic to go from that to that with nothing in between. It, it just, it's like you never had a chance to come down from one bad event before a worse event happens. And yeah, it was a. Uh, but you know the end result of that story was it would have been, it would have been banging no matter what but it was just the way you wound up structuring the the, the additional scenes in that just was perfection so um, um it's it's easy to do when you plot um to um look at the overall scope of your work and say okay um especially you know after you've gotten feedback and you that's not quite what I meant I mean I. I wanted it to be um, shocking and abrupt because domestic violence, domestic violence like that is shocking and horrible and um, oftentimes completely unexpected uh, from an outside party. And so I wanted that, that punch in the face, but I didn't want to gut my reader <laughs> in the process. <laughs> I just wanted to punch you in the face, not not kill you. Um, and I had, I it was um, too much, and so it was um, restructuring it was actually um, fairly easy because I um, had spent so much time building my foundation to begin with. So, yeah. And the other one was the the second one was uh, and it wasn't like you said, I mean, "Can you, Alfred?" As you said, "But you read this and give me your opinion," which you know you didn't ask me to mm-hmm. bait it. I, ba- I baited it later, but it was. Um, I'm I'm I have word retrieval issues. Um the 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 sequel to Lantian Legacy. Mm, there's there, there's a third one but we but we don't talk about that one. <laughs> we don't talk no no no. <laughs> not the not the uh the Phantom sequel, the the actual sequel. <laughs> no, no, I mean there's a third work. Um the one where um James Parr leaves um Britain. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one, that one, that one. And Lady Holder read that one recently. I put it in her folder to read. I guess she read it. I don't know. She ain't told me she read it. (sighs) That was not meant to be like um, pouty. (laughs) It came out pouty, but it wasn't meant to be pouty. (laughs) And she didn't tell me she liked it. Yeah, I forgot what the plot drift one. And that's why I think that I'm going to be a total, total horrible person. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I really enjoyed writing it. Uh, and I don't. I'm not trying to be a fictive. Um, 
uh, it's just not ready for public consumption because I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with book two, and I've written I've written two openings for book two, and I'm still haven't decided. And um, I've actually written written 20k of book two, and I'm still not on board with it. And so I just don't know um, where I want to go, and I don't want to publish the first book until I know where I want to go with book two. Um, and I'm really super on the fence about it, and I don't want to. Um, put book two out there without having book, I mean, book one out there without having book two and book three really solid. Um, cause I want to publish them back to back. Um, I can understand so that. there's no, some things that there's some things I'd totally hold on to until I, if I know there's going to be more than one book, I just, I get this kind of like, if I'm not solid, at least on the concept of where it's going for you, if I haven't completely plotted it, if I'm still waffling on conceptually what I'm going to do or whatever, I can't let go of that first one because I I just have that thing in the back of my mind. What if I need to go back and change something to set up for the next book? Or what if something I already did makes something I want to do in the next book impossible because and I'm stuck with it? You know, I'm not truly right. stuck with it because I can go change something if I want to, but I just don't want that author note. You know, I mean that's just my perfectionism. I don't want that author note that says I went back to this thing that's been published for six months and changed shit. So <laughs> you can now understand. Well, so I'm not really talking yeah, to you. You need to go read that book. shit again because I <laughs> fucked it all up. Yeah, but um, the the point um about this particular story um is that I wrote the first book um in James Potter's point of view, almost entirely. Um, there's a he there's a few things James. I did, and I think I really I really kind of fell in love with him as a character. Um, and I cast Matthew Boomer to play him, and that could have helped. Is it Boomer or Bomber? Boomer? Bomer. I think it's Bomer. Bomer. Either way, boom. Boom on the Bomer. And the thing is, it was, um, I mean, you did stuff there that I have never read in fandom before. It was like, whoa. And you just were channeling James, and you just, you were going so fast on that story. It was like, what is she like taking speed? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it really quickly, and um, he's gorgeous. And Jilly did me a picture when he has green eyes. Oh my god, <laughs> you thought he was gorgeous before. <laughs> he got, he got, oh, green eyes just completed that picture. I don't know why it was amazing. Um, because uh, blue eyes are beautiful, but he just there's just something about it. I, I don't even know what it is, but um, what um. What struck me um, about writing in his point of view was um, the way it opened up the magical world to me in a, in a very different way, in a, in a way I'd never really explored before. And I did something really, really fun with it. And something that I wasn't expecting and something that wasn't in the podcast. Um, was it even in your plot? Initially, no, because I, I kind of, no. I, I, you, you were asking some questions. I won't reveal anything, but you were asking some questions about something in in chat, and then, like all of a sudden, like I don't know, like an hour later, you drop this thing that had something in it that I like. I was like, "What is that?" And it's awesome. And um, I was like, "And you?" I, I thought my my recollection was that you came up with that on the fly. It was like it just popped out. <laughs> yeah. 
sometimes that happens. I mean, I mean, I mean, even as a plotter and a planner, sometimes things just happen. Like I told you before, I had to stop writing ties that bind to create pleasure houses, and I did have a moment in um, I'm, the book is called The Legacy. I did have a moment in The Legacy where um, I stopped and went, oh, oh shit, <laughs> and I was like. When you have those moments of really startling clarity when you're writing, it's, it's just really awesome. And I had that moment in the legacy, and it was like, wow, I've never seen anybody do that. I mean, I've seen this and I've seen that, but I've not seen this. And um, then I had to do it. <laughs> it was like, I had to do that right now. So I had to stop and do some research, and um, uh, it was just, yeah. And I'm really proud of the work. The question becomes in book two um, is that it's my natural inclination to write in Harry's point of view. Um, and I picked up book two, uh, and it was like, okay, do I write him in his first year? Do I write? And so I, I, I wrote that a little bit, and I didn't like it. Um, I wrote about 10K of it, and I really didn't like it. Uh, and then I flipped it again, and I I, I tried to write him at 16 and I've written 20k of it and I don't like it and then earlier today which is why this is on my brain I I realized um that my inclination to write Harry Potter in the Harry Potter verse was kind of holding me back from continuing James's story um and so I went back to the drawing board and I've I've replotted um, my book two, uh, and I've set the other two works aside because I'm going to use them for something else probably. Um, and uh, I realized that one of the reasons why I was stumbling on beyond the point of view issue that I was having with book two and book the, the book two, because I thought that I had to go here with this, was that I was doing a huge disservice to the character that I created in book one. Because I was focused on the Horcruxes and Voldemort and how that would play out and Harry's role. And then I realized something really fundamental today. There is no way in fucking hell that James Potter would sit around and wait for his son to grow up to fight Voldemort. Sirius didn't in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. As soon as he found out about the Horcruxes, he balls in on finding them. Why in the fuck, especially in the environment of the legacy and James's duty to Harry, both as his father and something else, I'm not going to tell you, I'm sorry to be a fictive, um, it was astronomically foolish, right? Right. To, to think that he would sit there and not hunt Voldemort to the ends of the fucking earth. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm... <laughs> what the fuck was <laughs> I thinking? You know, and so... Um, I've set all that aside, and um, I'm going to refocus uh, my book two, and um, I'm going to write it after Nano, and um, I'm really... Uh, all that waffling I had is gone. So, yeah. I'm I'm really glad that I gave myself some space on it. Because especially when it comes to James's duty um in the additional role that he gains in the legacy and not just as Harry's father uh that 
his only honorable course of action is to be extremely proactive. And that makes total sense from the way you wrote him. Um, Right. And, you know, I was thinking thinking about um, the only really long HP that I've written is um, Slytherin Black, which I'll be revisiting in um, April for the Mulligan. Yay! Um, But I actually, because I had considered, you know, this similar something similar is like where would I go with this, you know, in a in a book too, um, and I had thought about the whole thing about writing um, the trio in the future, um, but I think the series would always be serious the story, and so even if I wrote something like what was going on with them, that it would always have to be come back to stay in his point of view, um, mm-hmm. and be from from his perspective on things, um, because fundamentally that's the way I conceived it was, it's. Sirius's life, it's Sirius's tale, it's his journey. As much as he was motivated and driven by um, Harry, it's it's still his tale. Um, so, um, but it's interesting how that perception of the way we think things should go, based upon like some sort of precedent or our own writing or habit, um, habit yeah, um, how these things can can affect us. Um, in the choices we make, and uh, we make the choice choices that are based upon expectation and not based upon, or habit, and not based upon what we're creatively inspired to do. Yeah, because I think that anybody coming out of reading book one would expect my book two in that series um, to focus on Harriet Hogwarts. Yeah. Because that's my... That's my M.O., but it doesn't serve the character that I essentially created in book one because, you know, in a lot of respects, James Potter as an adult is a blank slate. Mm-hmm. And I hope um, even those of you who don't like the character um, based on his childhood actions will give it a shot and, and love him just as much as I do. I mean, it was it was a great um, journey as a writer. For him to acknowledge um, everything that happened. And I'm doing, um, I'm probably doing the unseeable plot for April. Like, nothing wrong with that, man. And you know, in your, in the story, because um, you talked about some of this in the in the plot drift um, in the story mm-hmm. that you in the the legacy story, um, you you talked about in the plot drift about all the sacrifices everybody made, what we're going to make, Frank and Alice and and um, um, oh James and Lily, um, mm-hmm. we're going to make. To, to make events turn out different differently for for Harry, and so it wouldn't um, if you had gone with the fandom formula of Harry growing up and resolving all this stuff. It in its way, all their sacrifices were um, meaningless. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well. 
what's really funny about that particular plot drift is that, like, when I first sat down to kind of work with the idea, because I, I found it really inspiring, um, what happened in the plot drift is essentially basically one chapter in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> like, okay, that's done. So now what? And those are some really dangerous words for a writer. So now what? <laughs> well, it was like the, I had this whole scene of, of of Harry being on Diagon Alley and Voldemort um, finding him. And that was the the vision I had in my head going into it. And then I I thought to myself, okay, how did they get here? And things kind of snowballed after that. (laughs) But snowballed in a really glorious way. You know, it just, it was, it was, it was banging. It's my favorite thing you've ever written. Oh, well, thank you. My favorite story I've ever written is probably courting Hermione Granger lately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it, Courtney Ryan Granger is just perfection. Well, the I legacy is 60K before huh? beta. I said the legacy is 60K before beta. So, but I could also see that you know, if I were in if if I were in a situation where people were treating me like a porn factory, that I might occasionally go to my um, story without sex and go, "There's my baby." I know, right? And a lot of people do treat me like a wank factory, and um, um, sometimes it can be kind of um, dehumanizing. Yes, yes, um, yes. And I really don't need to know if you're in your bunk, or how wet you are, or how hard, or oh, you know, don't need your to panties know. got I don't, your panties got ruined. Yeah, you know, it's just over. I don't care about the condition of your undies. I really don't. Don't tell me about your knickers. <laughs> or I your really nipples, or anything else. Well, but, I really do. Uh, it was a byproduct of you getting turned on reading something. Keep it to yourself, please. Please keep it to yourself. Um, but now there were some um changes that happened during that alpha read, uh, in the legacy that um because. Your your focus gets really narrow, and especially when you're a plotter and, and you're getting down to the wire and, and you've got like four or five scenes left and you're hammering them out one after another, sometimes you can, um, I can, uh, kind of get lost in the, in, in the um, I kind of lose the nuance. And I have to go back in and kind of smooth out my narrative a little. I think those of you who've seen me in Rough Trade, um, especially in Big Works, probably have seen that. Um that my scenes will get really sharp and uh, sometimes I just, I have to go in and kind of um, smooth their edges a little. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know really how to say that. No, it's it's very true. I mean, um, you know, they say some of the things that I think people stumble on when they're writing, and I stumble on because I know them, because I stumble on them too. And considering that... Um, that whole hysterical article about all the steps to getting out of your um, slump, 
one of them was about um, things like transitions between scenes and um, action scenes and all this stuff that's difficult to write. And people can get really caught and slow down on certain areas like that. And um, his advice in the article, and it's like the best advice ever, is just don't write it. Just don't write it. And when you're in challenge, if you're going to be cranking out 50K for the month or 100K for the month or whatever it is you're going to do, you can't you can't take the time to get bogged down in the things that take um, it, it takes more than just you know creative flow. It takes some you know, some some analysis and some thinking around corners and all you know. And wordsmithing is not something that um, you really have a lot of time for. So I think things are sharper and blunter when you're writing in when you're especially whether you're in the zone or whether you're writing in challenge and you're trying to get stuff out, um, it would be it, – I think it's better for, the, for an author to let go of trying to smooth all those edges out and just write it Well, you don't need out. to bog yourself down. So, so if you have a hard time writing sex scenes, skip the sex scene. Fade to black. Yeah. You can write it later. Um, if you have a hard time writing action like I do um, – but you know, I think my major problem about writing action is that I often try to insert movie-type action into my written work, and that's just dumb. And I don't know why I do that. I don't even know why I try. Because in reality, violence is 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 abrupt. It is. We we talked about that one night that you know people people read because I mean, somebody critiqued your um, action scene and and fall for you. Mm-hmm. And um, they said it was too short or something. And we talked about that that people are used to fight scenes in movies or, uh, you know, whatever. And an attack does not happen for ten minutes. No. It just it's doesn't brutal, happen that it's way. It's fast and it's over. Yep. Now, you could put ten or fifteen minutes of screen time easily into the aftermath, but that's not the way Hollywood works, you know. Um you know, so I think a lot of action does happen quickly. Um, the thing, the, one of the reasons I struggle with writing action is keeping up with all the moving parts. Because often, um, in, a, in a close action scene where there's just a couple of people involved, it's not a problem. But like the last really big action scene I had to write, there's like 40 people involved doing different things. And it was like, well, what, what am I focusing on? And it takes a lot of concentration and a lot of um, um, if I'm going to get it right, I can't just like blow through it. I have to think about what the moving parts are and um, what the important thing is to focus on. Because if you give your reader too much, it's actually harder to follow in some ways than if you give them too little. You ever read an action scene where the person is describing what, like, it feels like what every person on the battlefield is doing? And you're thinking to yourself, oh, my fucking God, <laughs> can we get past skip, skip, skip? Oh, look, there's skip, a dialogue. Skip. <laughs> you're sitting there going, I hope, I hope all of these motherfuckers die. Because <laughs> Rockfall, everyone dies. I mean, come on now. Um, I think, honestly, when I look back on the body of my work, the one action scene I'm really proud of happens in um uh this um the Sentinels of Atlantis when um the Wraith is on the city and John wakes from a dead sleep and runs through the city with a knife. 
Yeah, that was banging, and it was really visceral um, the way it was written. Um, and slams that knife into that race head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's actually my favorite one I've ever done because it, it it flowed really naturally for me and I didn't stumble um on it and it uh that doesn't always happen for me. So I was like I know it's your favorite Sybil because you made me art, didn't you? I I think I have art from that scene. I'm pretty sure that you yeah, gave me art. Was- it's one of those scenes you yeah. just see in your head. So, like, even if you don't remember the words, it it, it it translated so well from the page to my imagination that I don't even have to remember what the words were that you used. And I don't because I can Mm-mm. see it. You know, it's just but there. I feel like that's probably one of the best ones I've ever um, I've, ever, I've ever written. And I didn't stumble on it and, it, and it moved really quickly. And I was like, yeah. And that's not often the case when it comes to action. I don't always go, yeah, at the end. I'm like, oh, shit. But I went, yeah, at the end of that. <laughs> I was just as satisfied as John was. <laughs> you should have, that was definitely a pen drop moment. You you earned that. I mean, I'd have got, went and got my fountain pen that I don't even use, and just for the purpose of dropping it. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. But it doesn't always um it isn't always that easy. So, um when it is really easy you're like, Hell yeah <laughs> Gonna get some chocolate. <laughs> so, but um one of the more difficult action scenes I've ever um had to put together was uh I stumbled really hard in, in what might have been when Rodney's kidnapped, and that scene ends up when I had to cut it out because I could not get it to work. That John beams into the um, the cabin where Rodney's being kept, and he shoots those three people, and then he leaves the room. Well, originally, I followed him out of the room, and. Um, it was really, it was really difficult and awkward, and I was like, "Fuck it, I cut it out." <laughs> that story lost like three k because of um, me following him out of of that room instead of focusing on Rodney, um, because uh, it, it, the scene starts in Rodney's point of view, and then um, John beams into the room and. I did a switch to his point of view as he walked out of the room and it was um, very difficult. And so I deleted it, kept it in Rodney's point of view, um, which probably wasn't as um, satisfying viscerally uh, as far as like, you know, John getting um, revenge on all those assholes who stole his, his astrophysicist. But I, I couldn't write it. It was really awkward. So... I didn't try. So, you know, just, I did try. I tried badly. <laughs> and, and, and no one got to see that part. <laughs> Sometimes you make interesting choices because you know something is just going to be too hard to or too difficult or just not work. Um, okay, so in the in the journey home, um, mm-hmm. I had this whole, my initial plot did not include um, Tony being unconscious for the first, like, 
four or five chapters. <laughs> but the situation was very um, one he was going to find really untenable. And I was like, how? I just didn't want to keep revisiting him being unhappy with the situation. And that's the way it was going to come out. It was starting to come out. If he was just going to be miserable, 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 arguing, 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 I don't want all this protection, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, that's going to get really tedious really fucking fast. Um, and I just don't want to just keep going over it and over it and over and over. I find it tedious when I read stuff like that where the character just cannot get over the fact that they're – you know, they push the boundaries, push the boundaries, push the boundaries, and they get themselves kidnapped or something. Um, and, yeah, sometimes that happens, but it can get really tedious. So I um, I said, you know what I need to do? I need to find a way to make him unconscious <laughs> for, like, days, <laughs> for most of it, you know, a good chunk of this, so that he doesn't, you know, so that he's, like, not a factor in the difficulty of the situation. So, you know, I, that's what I, that's how that whole plot device came about of him having that kind of hyper-reaction to a sedative and just sleeping through all <laughs> the bizarre machinations for his safety. Um, but it was because I didn't want to spend all that time in his headspace um, being miserable. And you would have. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I would have because I mean, I, if, I, if I'm going to keep him in character, and I'm going to be in his his point of view, um, then yeah, that that's that's there's this I can't just shortchange his character and make him okay with a situation he's not okay with. So you know, I gave him draw of living death basically and said, see you in a few chapters. <laughs> just be better for everybody if you're unconscious <laughs> especially me <laughs> um but um well i have a really really super awkward and this is this is just not a confession that i often make um i have a seriously awkward and terrible sex scene that i wrote for courting hermione granger that i cut out because it felt like I was invading their privacy. <laughs> you voyeur. <laughs> I was like, oh, we got problems. You were perving on them? I know. It was really inappropriate. <laughs> Get out and of their was, bedroom. It was really awkward. And I think out of all the things that I I do as a writer, um, I count amongst my skills the ability to write sex. Um and it was just like super awkward, like sex I wrote when I was thirteen. I was like, "What is this? It makes no sense. Why? Why is it this way?" It was just because I'd made her so innocent. That I literally felt like I was invading her privacy. And that's a weird moment for a writer. It's like walking in on your character taking a shit, I guess. <laughs> Just something you don't let them do on on screen. Oh, shit, but sorry, no. I didn't mean to see that. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, it, when I was reading the... Before you ever got to the, the sex... Um, I don't remember how far you were into the story when I was. So I, I read just enough of it. Oh, it was the EAD stuff. It was before you ever got to the. It was the EAD part. Um, 
and I I was I was inferring a lot about um, what what their you know mar- marriage bond was actually going to eventually be because you talked about that you know that, that she had to be a virgin for them to have a true magical marriage. Well, that to me implied a lot about what sex does to someone's magic or what. Um, and so there's obviously an incredible intimacy there. Um, and so I had I had I had like inferred a lot about what that was ultimately, and and it just felt like it was something that was going to be with with the, the the magical bond and the the tie of the magic and the tie of their um, lives and and everything about it. I just had this thing like this is going to be like the most intimate sex ever if she writes it, and I don't know if I can read it. <laughs> I, it might be too intimate for me. <laughs> Because it's not it just bang, it's not just it's not just banging. I mean, it was like, I mean, you set it up that like their magic was going to be fundamentally different when this was over, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting and really appealing, and I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's okay. I couldn't write it. <laughs> just show me the it aftermath. Was... Thank you. <laughs> but I think I did capture the aftermath. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it mm, <laughs> it was just really badly written, and that's that's not normally a problem I have when when it, when it comes to writing sex, as you may have noticed. I have no, and I doubt it was badly written. It just probably didn't feel right. It probably it, felt awkward, and it did not flow. It did not flow. It was like, what are you doing? Um. And the funny thing is, you know, I have to admit, sometimes when you um, are reading something, even by somebody you really like uh, their work, and you're pretty sure that you're going to like anything they ever write, reasonably, and then you kind of get into <laughs> something, and you start reading. And when I, start, when I read Courtney Hermione Granger on Evil Author Day, I got started with it, and I went, Virgin? What is she smoking? <laughs> <laughs> Like, what is Kira gonna do with a virgin? I don't know. So, <laughs> but then the more I read, I, I mean, how many people thought that? That's really funny. Oh my god, that's really hilarious. <laughs> I just, I, mean, I just, I totally made this, this face. I was like, huh. And you know, I, I, I have. To, you know, this is one of those times I have to challenge my own perceptions because there are authors that I would have walked away from over that. I've been like. You know, I've I've had virgin sex. I don't need to relive that shit. <laughs> I know, right? I like, so, and, you know, I keep going, and I was, and I was like, I was, I was like, um, I'm ash- I'm ashamed to admit that um, there's probably some great stuff I've missed out on because I made a snap judgment about what I was reading based upon one plot choice or something. Um, but I kept going, you know, and I read it, and I loved it. I just adored it. I didn't I didn't know if there was ever gonna be sex in the story or not, but it didn't matter because it the story wasn't about them having sex. Um it wasn't about, you know that it wasn't about that at all. It was it was a beautiful, profound love story and um and if I had just gone, Oh Virgin, well you're get kidnapped by the Amish <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It's just Sometimes I get really tired of writing sex, um, especially when I put something out really um, that I consider super awesome, and the only comments I get are about the sex. Yeah. And I'm like, 
fuck you. <laughs> it's not the actual writing that I that I get tired of. It's the comments that focus only on the sex. Yeah. And I'm like, or, eh, you assholes. I mean, <laughs> but my um my my three little black dresses for not this year but last year, which was uh, Hawaii Five O, um, The Avengers, and Criminal Minds. Um, by far, by far, the least popular is the one with um, no sex in it, which is the criminal mind story. Mm-hmm. And because there's no sex, I get pounded on that story for the sequel. And I don't think I would if they had um, had sex, had sex. for the end. Right. I think it's all about that. And actually, somebody left me a comment on that story this week that just said, this is it. This is exactly this is all they said in the sum total of it. I was expecting more, or maybe a sequel. Which will translate to, I really want to see the bonding sex. <laughs> yeah, I mean sex. And the thing, I think is in terms of relationship story, in terms of, of the character dynamics, I thought that was the strongest um, of the three in terms of how the relationship built. Um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the Defenders one was my favorite, but... I thought that the the criminal minds one was the strongest of um, for being more realistic about um, that sometimes you just can't, you know, it's just not going to happen instantly. And I thought that their the evolution for them was very believable, um, and and so it's very difficult when you just get pounded on the fact that there isn't any sex in it. That's just like come of, on. Of my three, only one had sex in it. Um, I didn't write sex in um, my Star Trek one. And I didn't do sex in my Harry Potter one um, because when sex had no place in the Harry Potter one. It was just, it would have been so completely out of place in that story because of the emotional impact of what happened, not only to Harry, but to people around him. Um there came a point near the end when I wish I had written that story from Kingsley's point of view. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and with the Star Trek one, it again, it their their bonding was emotional and intellectual, and the sex wasn't important. That's you know there's this there's that fandom expectation that if you're a slash writer or if you've written sex in a story before or whatever that it's going to be there, and yeah. I think we internalize that. Um, I you know when I was writing last summer, I got to the end and I almost apologized for the fact that I decided not to to put the bonding in because I felt like it was rushing their relationship and it didn't fit, and I almost apologized like sorry I was like wait what am I doing. Where did this, you know, it doesn't have to be sex in a story. There doesn't, that doesn't have to exist. But it's like this, I think that there's this internalized fandom pressure um, or fandom expectation or whatever that we go, this is the way it has to be because it's the way fandom does it or because it's the way I usually do it. Um, you know, and anytime I notice that I am internalizing stuff like that, I, you know, usually want to run right out and do the opposite, like, you know, just start spitting out genfic right left and center. <laughs> Which could be where According Hermione Granger came from, because um, there had been so much, um, so so many con, so many 
people jerking off on your over of your website? That or it could honestly be um, how irritated I got with some of my male friends, oh, my male fans, readers over um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, and um, the way Emma Watson is uh, dehumanized by some of these men. Um, you know I'm talking about you, Zara Azkaban. Um, and I wanted to write a story about her as a woman who who had a great who who valued something intrinsic about herself that was just for her and it was her decision and it wasn't about anybody else and it wasn't about a man and it wasn't it was something she wanted for herself that she made a decision and what anybody else wanted whether it be her mother or the men that she dated or people around her or society um um, telling her that it was old-fashioned and inappropriate didn't matter because it was what she wanted for her. And it could have been anything, but I chose the virginity probably because of the crap I'd gotten and the way I think that men fetishize Emma Watson. Like she's not even a person. Like she's just this... <sighs> Anyways, this is just a fantasy woman, you know, and right. It's very disheartening. It could have easily been her career that I focused on, but I didn't because I wanted um, to explore. I don't know. I'm not saying that virginity. I mean, I considered my virginity a barrier and a. Um, something to get rid of. I didn't, it was not, my hymen had no value to me. <laughs> so it's not about me saying that being a virgin is better than not being a virgin. Um, virginity is a social construct and it means absolutely nothing to me um, in the large scheme of things. But it was about her owning herself and um her standing for her choices and not allowing anybody else to invalidate her choices. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's not, yeah. Well, I didn't, I mean, I didn't feel like that you, um, you went either way with the virginity thing. I didn't feel like you glorified it. And I didn't feel like you dissed it. It just, you just made it her choice. Um, mm-hmm. You gave her, you gave her really a profound level of body autonomy, um, and no apologies. You know that was her, and it was. Uh, I think it's something that that a lot of women could do to read. You know, um, that just the idea, just I mean, just as the the moral of the story, is you don't have to bend anybody else's expectations about what you do, with the only thing you truly have any control over. This is your body. Do what you want with it. And if you don't want anybody in it, don't let anybody in. You know? You don't have to have Or on it or next to it. it. It's yours. It's yours. You do what you want. I had a reader ask me why she had never even been kissed when she first meets Harry. Um, And because that was her choice. 
that was something that she decided that she wasn't going to allow. And I think a lot of times young women are conditioned to think that they're supposed to allow a certain amount of access to the men that they date. And that's absolutely not true. You don't owe your partner, whoever they may be, whoever you may be, male, female, etc. You don't owe your romantic partner access to your body in any single way. Period. And that was um, that was the thrust of my choices when it came to Hermione and her past reactions. Because the reader in question said, well, she was engaged to be married and she never even let her fiancé kiss her. Well, guess what? My husband doesn't kiss me unless I want him to. All right. And, and we've what, been to years. And what does that say about our how we've been indoctrinated in our culture and how we think that 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 should even be a question? Like some like some assumption that you know because you have what you know some that because you are planning to be intimate with somebody that it gives them a certain what rights to I mean, I touch you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but no, that is absolutely not true. Um, Nobody has the right to be intimate with you in any fashion without your permission. So there was, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, if anybody doesn't want to hear this, you know, just close your ears for like, you know, 15 seconds or actually more like a minute. Um, (laughs) I'm going to give a very minor spoiler for something that happened in the first episode of Pitch. Um, which is a new show on Fox about a girl who's a, the first girl to become a major league pitcher. Mm-hmm. So there's a scene where she gets smacked on the ass by the captain of the team. And she tells him, she gives him grief about it. And he comes back at her and he says, hey, I, I smack everybody's ass. I smack his pimply ass and I smack his hairy ass and I'm going to smack your ass and you are going to just suck it up and deal with it and say thank you, sir, can I have another? And she sort of stayed in his face, but she ultimately backed down and kind of was like, hey, we're good here, you know, like she's being one of the boys. But the thing is, is that they kind of like wrote it to where he was an equal opportunity ass smacker and that made it okay. And no, but, that's but, not actually okay. <laughs> no, it's not okay because if she, it didn't matter if he did it to everyone. If he was touching everybody's ass and he was just treating her like everybody else, maybe he's not singling her out and being a sexist prick which I guess was the point they were trying to make. But the real point was is that if she didn't want her ass touched, she shouldn't have had to have her ass touched. He shouldn't be touching anybody's ass. I agree. What is that with men? What is that? I don't even get it. So she, they had her. I mean, they did the, they did, they actually went to the, the what I would call the, the trite route, the cliche route, and had her smack him on the ass, which, you know... Okay, yeah, we got, you know, we all kind of kind of go, "Yay!" But in reality, I was like, part, you know, I'm sitting there going, "No ass smacking." I mean, there should be a, there should be some permission going on here. Like, you know, sign up sheet at the in the clubhouse it says, "Okay with ass smacking, not okay." <laughs> <laughs> you can't smack her ass, you can't smack his ass. 
he's actually deeply homophobic and doesn't want you near his ass. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't get the whole ass Maggie thing. Um, But I did once, uh, this guy kept um, grabbing my ass in the club, and um, I walked past him a couple times, and he did it twice, and I told him the third time not to do it again, and he did it again. So I came back around, and I didn't pass him. I was moving around with my friends, and instead of walking past him and giving him an opportunity to grab my ass for the fourth time, I moved right into his group of friends and grabbed his dick. (laughs) Really hard. And he, and his eyes got really wide. I said, so how do you feel about this? Really loud, because we were in a club. He was like, let go, let go. I said, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to do that? Why do you, well, I want to do it. So what you want's not important, right? He didn't grab my ass anymore, ever. <laughs> and you like, you like, you like unexpected grabs? How's this for you? How's this feel? So, about an hour and a half after I get home from the club, my boyfriend calls me and says, did you grab so-and-so's dick? I said, he smacked my ass four times. And he goes, yeah, but did you have to grab his dick? (laughs) I was like, I was making a point. He said, you more than made one. So I just shared a picture in the chat room. Um, for those of you who are not on Facebook and Tumblr, this has been going around like mad today. Um, it is a manipulation. Whoever did it is fucking gifted. Stunning. I've seen it um, before, but it's beautiful. I'd never seen it before, so I mean, like, it was like the highlight of like the first like twelve hours of my day was this photo. <laughs> um, so you know, just sharing it here for those of you who don't it, it, it aren't. aren't plugged into social media and hadn't seen this, so just have to share the pretty, because it's very inspiring. And really, I, I want to be that good at Photoshop. There's, yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Um, but, uh, it, so I guess the whole point of courting Hermione Granger was I had several, um, things going into that. I I guess I had an agenda. I was really frustrated with the amount of people who were reading my work just for the sex. Um, I really want to talk about body autonomy and um, um, ownership of yourself and um, intimacy and um, just, you know, all of that. And I wanted to write a really sweet romance. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> Actually, I would, the, the adjective I would use, I would say it was a beautiful romance. It was, um, you sort of surpassed sweet. I want to I wanna upload that picture of James and, sh- and share it with the chat room because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now i got to find it. Can you upload files into the chat room? No, I'm going to upload it on my site. Oh, that's a good place to put it. Um, <laughs> so, um, let's see. While she's doing that. I don't have uh, it. Is it in my Maybe you don't have it. It's not. Oh, my gosh. I don't have it. Oh, yeah, I do. Here it is. I was picturing something different. 
I was picturing a full body shot, but it's not a full body shot. <clears throat> no. But I could do you a full body shot. <laughs> oh my goodness. Things things did not work out there. Hold on. <laughs> While she's uploading, folks, I will give you a um, just a quick recap on the honesty thing. You know, go for as much honesty. Know how much honesty you want and how much you are, um, and, and be real clear about what you want, and be sure you're ready for it when it comes your way. Don't think, don't don't guess about how much honesty you can handle when it comes to your writing. For real. Um, I would say there are two rules on, on that. On the beta side, um, remember being honest doesn't equal being cruel. And no. on the writer side, remember that you asked for the truth, and if the person isn't being an, a cruel asshole, they're just giving you what you've asked for. So you don't have to like it, but alternatively, you really don't have the right to abuse them for being honest with you. So just be kind on both sides of the fence. And now, writers, if you're gonna, if it's something you want to do that you want to pursue writing, you do have. She, she tagged this thick skin syndrome. You do have to start working on getting a thicker skin. And because you want to be published, don't pick your first editing with a professional project as the time to develop a thick skin. Use fandom as a way to build work up to that. (laughs) (laughs) I drank half a bottle of wine with my first edit. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. In one sitting. (laughs) It was bad. I caught on my husband. No, I'm just kidding. Well, like, I know, why I'm are they even publishing this with all the red? It's like something bled <laughs> like, on the page. Like, hey, why did they sign my contract? But no, yeah. So, you know, take it in stages, but just be kind to each other. Just be super kind. Um, and I don't think that's too much to ask. Um not and if you're friends with somebody that you're that you're doing this honesty exchange with or partial honesty exchange with remember your friendship is more important than your critique and more important than your opinion of their work exactly and if it isn't you're an asshole and then, and then, and I need to know that up front <laughs> more so than I was today <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a great week talk to you later say goodnight Bye. good night good night